Good morning. Um, good to be with you guys again. Um, my name is Sammy Rhodes. I'm the RUF campus minister at South Carolina and going on year 16 overall. Um, did five years at Georgia Southern and gosh, going on year 11 at Carolina and still love college students, which is <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a miracle of kinds. Um, this morning, what I want to do, I, I feel like, I don't know about you, but over the last, gosh, couple of years now in times that have certainly rightly been called unprecedented, but increasingly feel very precedented, the Psalms uh, have been a real balm for me. Um, I don't know. I've always known, in theory, they're a gift to us. All of Scripture is a gift to us, but the Psalms in particular capture, give words, give language to our heart cries, uh, to our confusions, to our longings, to our fears, to our sadnesses. And this morning, I want to come to just one of my very favorites, which is Psalm 32, which if you know anything, it's a Psalm of David. It's, it's out of the life of David in particular. It's out of his broken uh, encounter, sinful encounter with Bathsheba. Uh, but it's a Psalm that is... It has darkness, but it ultimately ends in the hope of God's grace to sinners. And that's what I want to do this morning. So if you want to read along with me, Psalm 32, we're going to read the whole of it. Here's what David writes. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let me pray for us. I just want to spend a little time in this psalm together this morning. Let's pray first. Our Lord, we do thank you for the psalms. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you have not kept yourself hidden from us. You have revealed yourself to us. You have shown us what is steadfast love. You have shown us the only place for hope when we are sober about our own sin. And Lord, I pray that you, by this psalm, by your word, through the working of your spirit, would encourage our hearts this morning. Lord, we need it. Life in this world is wearying Lord, life with just with ourselves is wearying. And so, Lord, would you 
meet us as we are, not as we have pretended to be or are pretending to be, but as we really are. Lord, you know. And Lord, would you show us not just the power, not just the sweetness, but just the astoundingness of your grace. We ask these things, Lord, um, through Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was 10 years old, my, my dad was a big music guy, and I can remember getting my first, I'm about to be 42 this summer, so a little, little, well, I would say to my students, I'm older, but I can remember cassette tapes, and my dad made me my first uh, cassette tape, and on the front, on side A, was just select tracks off of Tom Petty's Full Moon Fever, wonderful album, and on the back side was just some select tracks off of Billy Joel's Stormfront, which is not a great album, but it's got some songs. And there's one song in particular, I think it's on that album, and I might be confusing this, but the song that I'm remembering, and maybe it was just greatest hits of Billy Joel, but the song I'm remembering is Billy Joel's Only the Good Die Young. And there's that line in that song, if you know that song, where he says, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. And I think Psalm 32 actually says, nope, Joy is found, strangely, paradoxically, in crying with the saints. In repentance, the grace of knowing ourselves to be sinners, but not stopping there. Being met by God, a God of grace, a God of immense love and steadfast love in the face of the worst moments, the worst parts of our lives. And that's what David is doing. And this is what I want to just do because he's, he's hitting on something that I think is paradoxical for you and for me, which is the joy of repentance, the joy of crying with the saints, the joy of knowing our sins and yet at the same time seeing them met, knowing them met by God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so the movement of this psalm is pretty simple. I just want to do two, there are two kind of movements. And the first is simply this, it's the admission of his guilt. And then the second that comes and the hope that comes is the assurance of God's grace. And we have to have both. The admission of guilt and then the assurance of God's grace. Let's start with the admission of guilt. What I love about Psalm 32, always still, is David, you can watch him using uh, four words to, to describe his sin. If you look at the text, the first word he uses is that word transgression. Literally in the Hebrew, it means something like willful or deliberate rebellion. Um, it's the way that the Lord says it through the prophet Isaiah. He says, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The way that I think about it is, think about what's the worst thing that you ever did toward your parents? Uh, mine's pretty easy. So when I was about seventh grade, my parents went through a really painful divorce and my dad left our family and my mom was left to pick up the pieces with me and my younger sister. And my mom either found or refound Jesus in that time and it was pretty powerful, but I was still pretty angry with God. I was angry with my dad. I was just a bit of a mess, very depressed, very angry. And my mom throughout that season kept trying to get me to go to counseling which if you've ever tried to convince a 12-year-old to go to counseling, it can be a tough sell at, at points. And I was refusing. No, mom, no, that's the last thing that I want. And there was this one particular moment where she was fed up and she came into my room. 
She said, Sammy, get in the car. We're going to see the Christian counselor. And I said, no. And she said, get in the car. And I said, mom, I'm not going anywhere. And I reached in my closet for an Easton baseball bat. And I pulled it up to her and I said, I'm not going anywhere. And you can imagine the tears that flowed. She ran out of my room. I think it hit me what I had just done. And for me, that's just a little bit of just a little window into what David is saying about our transgression that we have before God, our loving father. We have done as much spiritually speaking, and we've said to him, no, I will go my own way. And we've rebelled. So that's the first word, transgression, but then it keeps going. This is the dark part of the psalm. The second word he uses is the word sin, which in the Hebrew, it means to to miss the mark or to fall short. So if you know the Romans road of salvation, if you perhaps grew up Baptist or around uh, Baptist VBSs, maybe you know it. (laughs) Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this is part of what David is saying about himself. He's not just saying, I am... uh, I have transgressed. I have been willfully, deliberately rebellious. But he's also saying I have fallen short of what I've, what, I've, what I've meant to be, what I'm supposed to be. If you know the story with Bathsheba, you know we could say that David fell short as a husband. David has fallen short as a father, as a leader, as a king, as a believer that he should be. And the reality is true for us. We have fallen short We can say in our most sober moments, I can say in my most sober moments, I am not the husband that I should be so often. I am not the father. We've got three teenagers now. This one's coming really home. I am not the father that I should be. Uh, I am often not the son that I should be. I am often not the neighbor that I should be. I, I love my introvert time. I am often not the friend that I should be. I'm often not the pastor, the campus minister that I should be. I I could keep going. And if you're being sober-minded, you could too. And this is what David is saying, is I've fallen short, O Lord, of what you have made me to be, what you have called me to be, what you have redeemed me to be. So first, transgression, second, sin, then he keeps going. That third word he uses is iniquity. Again, in the Hebrew, it means something like to be twisted or bent out of shape. It's interesting to me the way that Ezekiel says it in Ezekiel 16. He he says this. He says, behold, this was the Lord is saying this. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her sisters had pride, excess of food and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. And my kids, my students would say, that's messed up. There's something twisted in that. I mean, we, we prayed it this morning. We can look to take it, to bring it current. We can look at what Russia is doing, what Putin is doing, and say, that's, that's twisted. That's messed up. And yet we have our own personal ways that we do that, where there is something broken in us since the fall. We're born in iniquity. I'm a bit of a C.S. Lewis nerd, and I've tried to do the Space Trilogy. Uh, Narnia, I try to reread fairly regularly, and, but the Space Trilogy was tricky, but I got just far enough to get an illustration, <laughs> so I'll take it. But there's that scene, I think it's in the first one, where 
the story as I remember it was these men go to this planet, um, and two of these men in particular, this, their scheme is they want to uh, capitalize and really just rob this planet of its resources, come back to Earth and be rich. That's a very simple way of saying it. But there's a moment in that story where Oyarsa, who's kind of a Christ figure, he's kind of the, 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 the supreme being of the land, sees what these men are doing, and he calls them before them in this council sort of meeting to expose them. And he's got this line that he's looking at these humans, and he simply says, there is a bentness in the human race. The way that Martin Luther would say it was instead of what sin has done to us, what iniquity means is instead of being curved outward in love to God and love to neighbor, we are curved inward in ourselves such that I say to my kids all the time, my my oldest in particular, we love Marvel films and we watch all the Marvel films all the time. We just rewatched Doctor Strange yesterday. We're working our way back through Captain Marvel. But I say to my kids, we have a, I have a superpower. And you have a superpower. And that superpower is the ability to make anything and everything about you and about yourself. And that's me. And that's you. There's a bentness, David is saying, in me. And then he keeps going. The last, the fourth word, deceit. Which is pretty straightforward, but means duplicity, dishonesty, pretense, hypocrisy, self-deception. The Lord says in Psalm 101, no one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. And friends, that's us. We are self-deceived like David, where we're not even aware often. This is back to my teenagers. We're not even always aware of how it is that we're hurting and failing those who are even closest to us. And so much of that is because there is a selfishness in us that runs deep where I wake up and go to bed thinking about me and mine. What do I need? What do I want that is in me, that is in you um, I just rewatched, I don't know if you ever watched the show Breaking Bad, but I was rewatched it with a friend. It was really fun. It holds up. But Vince Gilligan, who's the creator of Breaking Bad, if you know the story, Walter White, he plays a, uh, a high school um, science teacher who gets a really devastating form of cancer and is trying to desperately figure out a way to pay for it. And the, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I think it's been around long enough where he essentially becomes not just a meth dealer, but like the world's top richest meth dealer. And you just, the genius of the show is you watch this relatively innocent science teacher or seemingly innocent science teacher become this really terrifying, just bad guy. And Vince Gilligan in an interview one time was talking about that process. And he said this about Walter White. It was really fascinating to me. He said this, he said, I don't think he's an evil man. He is an extremely self-deluded man. We always say in the writer's room, if Walter White has a true superpower, it's not his knowledge of chemistry or his intellect, it's his ability to lie to himself. He is the world's greatest liar. He could lie to the Pope. He could lie to Mother Teresa. He certainly could lie to his family, and he can lie to himself, and he can make these lies stick. 
he can make himself believe in the face of all contrary evidence that he is still a good man. And it really does feel to us like a natural progression down this road to hell, which was originally paved with good intentions. And David is saying, that's me. Lord, there is deceit in me. I have lied to myself and I've lied to you and those lies have stuck. Um, Another way to say this is David is using four words to say one thing. I am a sinner. I am a sinner. It, It makes me think of, I don't know if you've ever read or watched Les Mis, but it's that scene in Les Mis where Jean Valjean, if you know the story, uh, he's stolen the candlesticks, but the priest says they were a gift. And so he, he really, in this moment of mercy, repents and starts to build this more virtuous life. But there's a moment where Javert, who is dead set on finding uh, the guilty Valjean, finds this man who he thinks is Valjean. And it get, the word of that gets to Valjean, and he wrestles with, what do I do? Do I let this innocent man go to jail for my crimes, do I, or do I go to court and reveal myself? And there's that song that I'm not going to sing because it would be uncomfortable for all of us, but I will say it. It's called, Who Am I? And it's a powerful scene, if you've ever seen it, where he's showing up in this courtroom, and he wants to, he's thinking about revealing his prison numbers because he has served time and revealing the truth of who he is. And here's how the song goes, Who Am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. And must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to carry on. Who am I? And if you've seen it, he starts to undo his shirt. Who am I? Who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. Who am I? And then he reveals the prison numbers, 24601. This is the only tattoo I've ever wanted, but I don't know that I, you know, sometimes you're like, I'm not sure I could pull off a tattoo. That's my predicament. But 24601, he's saying, this is who I am. And that's what David is doing before the Lord. This, in my most honest, sober moment, is who I am. It's It's confession. Is saying, Lord, I have been in denial about the truth about me. And you know it, and I know it. And then what I love, the second part, quickly, is then, and only then, does David feel and know the assurance of God's grace. And what I love about Psalm 32 is that God has four words, too. David has four words, but God has four bigger words. God has four more glorious words for David and for us. Here, here, here they are. First, he forgives. He forgives David's transgression, which literally means to remove or carry it away. We know Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. In other words, he doesn't do what I do, which is keep hold it over. I don't want to remove it. I want to hold it over. Anyone who's hurt me, I'm going to remind you, not so with God. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove your transgressions from you. He keeps going. He covers. He covers David's sin, which means to conceal or to provide for. I love that image in Micah 7 
where the Lord, where Micah says, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Um, this is, might sound weird, but grew up in Sumter and would often still love to go from uh, Columbia to Sumter, Screaming Eagle Road. The only downfall of Screaming Eagle Road is you have to pass the landfill. And the landfill, if you've ever been by it, it doesn't matter. I've done this my whole life. You, you know, sometimes you switch your air conditioning from like recycled to fresh or fresh to recycled. It doesn't matter by the landfill. It just, you can smell it. You can smell it. And every time I pass it, every time I pass it, I think of, weirdly, I'm a pastor, so this might make sense, but I think of that image that Paul uses where he says, um, if you are in Christ, you now have the aroma of Christ. And I think about that landfill, and I think about all of that dirt cannot cover the stench of that garbage. But if you are in Christ, you are so covered by his righteousness. You are so covered by his grace and mercy that you smell sweet. You smell amazing to the Lord through the gracious work of Jesus. And then the Lord keeps going. He does not count David's, uh, he doesn't count his iniquity. He doesn't keep a record of it. Psalm 130, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? You know, we live in a culture that loves, and we could talk about this, right? We, we live in a, a, a bit of a confusing time. Can't, we call it cancel culture. It means lots of things, but we know it feels like if we take a misstep, Google remembers forever, right? And yet David is saying, the Lord is saying, I don't keep a record of your iniquities. They are wiped clean through the blood of Jesus. And not only that, your record is the record of the righteousness of Jesus. I have a friend who, he always would throw me because I was learning about grace and he would say to me, Sammy, I walked on water. I fed the 5,000. And I was like, whoa, how dare you? And the older I get, I know what he meant. When the Lord sees me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. And we have our own good works as we follow him, for sure. But they are from Jesus. And then the Lord, the fourth word, is he gives a right spirit. A spirit of honesty and humility. It's David, again, in the companion psalm, Psalm 51, where he prays to the Lord, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I have another friend, (laughs) sorry, this is loud. He was talking about being in marriage counseling and he was talking about his counselor uh, wanted him to go home or wanted them to go home together and simply ask this question, what is it like to be in a relationship with me? And I thought, woof, I've never had the courage to ask my wife, what is it like (laughs) to be in a relationship with me? But the Lord, his work in our life and his work in David's life is he does that painful, patient, gentle, gracious work of showing us what it's like, you know, what what it's like to be in a relationship with ourselves, but at the same time showing us how committed he is as a husband and as a father 
And as one who has promised us steadfast love, we cannot mess it up. That's the the paradox of grace. Is you are free to say, I have messed it up and I am messing it up. And yet, at the same time, the Lord and his covenant faithfulness is saying to you, and yet you cannot mess it up. Come to me. I will make you clean. I will pick you up again. I will show you the way again. Another way, again, of saying this is just four words to say really one thing. And I love this. This is from uh, Charles Wesley, this idea that God's grace is always greater than your sin. Always. It doesn't always feel that way. But it is that way. Psalm 32 tells us, his grace is always greater than our sin. And that's why David ends the psalm. Rejoice. Rejoice, O you righteous. Rejoice. Um, I'll close with this. There's one of my favorite movies. This is going to sound strange, but it's a 90s movie called Babe. And if you know the story, uh, Babe, it's a great movie. Um, Babe, if you don't know the story, is a pig on a farm. Farmer Hoggett, uh, he raises very successful sheepdogs. And in this one particular uh, year of his life, his sheepdog is hurt. And yet, so he's trying to figure out who do I take to the county fair to win the top prize. Long story short, Babe is this amazing pig who begins to train as a sheepdog and is going to go uh, you know, compete in the farm, the county fair for the prize. Don't ask questions. It's just how the movie goes. But there's a scene that I love so much where Babe has this crisis because the duck gets in Babe's ear and says, you know that even if you win top prize, all you're ever going to be is bacon at Thanksgiving. You're a pig, right? You're a pig. You're not a sheepdog. You're a pig. And so he runs away. It's a little bit of a a prodigal son moment. He runs away and Farmer Hoggett goes to find him and he finds him. And this is where it gets real weird and real beautiful. Farmer Hoggett brings him into his house. He cleans him. He begins to feed him. And then in the strangest moment, and it's beautiful, Farmer Hoggett, to cheer Babe up, begins to sing and dance over him. He does a little jig, if you've seen the movie. It's beautiful. But as he's doing it, all the other farm animals are crowded into the window, watching (laughs) with shocked, open jaws. Because the question is, what kind of a farmer sings and dances over a pig? And I, and I think for us, this is Psalm 32. Is what kind of a God sings and delights and rejoices over sinners like you and me? And it's the God we know in the face of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you. That's our hope. It's our only hope. Lord, would you gently today um, let us wrestle in honesty and sobriety about where we are, not where we're pretending to be, what our sin is, what we're struggling with. And yet, Lord, would you assure us that we get to do that because your steadfast love is an anchor, it is a balm, it will keep us forever. So Lord, would you meet us in that way today that you might bring about beautiful repentance Lord, we need that desperately, and only you by your grace can do it. 
And Lord, we ask for that and we pray that through Christ our Lord. Amen.